Mark chapter 5. Let's read from verses 1 to verse 7. The Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame, conquer him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Amazing words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, again for this glorious day. We do ask now, Father, that, Lord, you truly prepare our hearts for the preaching of thy word. Remove from our hearts and our minds any obstacles, anything, Lord God, that might hinder us from worshiping you in listening to the preaching of the word. We worship you in psalm and in prayer, And often we forget that while your word is being preached, Lord, you require and demand also that we worship you in the preaching of thy word. Father, we've had many obstacles, many hindrances, many things, Lord God, this past week that obstructed us, many things that attempted to lure our hearts and our affections away from this time, this, Lord, this time of worship and praise. And we pray, therefore, Lord God, that you'd help us now that we pay attention to thy word, that the Spirit of God would have liberty to speak to us and open up our hearts and our minds to its truth. Father, we pray now that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. We pray for those who could not be here this morning. Watch over them. We thank you for the answered prayers of our brothers and sisters who are ill and are feeling better. We thank you, Lord God, for your grace and mercy that you show us every single day Help us now, Father, today to enter into thy gates with praise. May you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We have a wonderful display of God's sovereign grace and mercy in this gospel of Mark chapter 5. And yet I fear that in their blind zeal to defend the gospel from the enemies of the gospel, I fear many have lost sight of the necessity to preach it. Listen to me, because I really want you to understand what I'm saying this morning. There is a lot of people today who are preaching a false gospel. I think we'll all readily agree with that. But many, in their blind zeal to defend it, have stopped preaching it. They spend more time and effort defending what they believe the true gospel is rather than proclaiming it. The Bible says we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. He's very clever. He's been around for a long time. 
And if we understand the power of the gospel, if we understand the necessity of preaching the gospel, we must also understand that he's not ignorant in ways and means of getting us obstructed or led astray from preaching it, proclaiming it. The gospel is powerful enough to defend itself. One may say or boast that they can defend it. My question is, can you preach it? Satan would have you stand and defend it all day long. (laughs) But can we preach it? That's the question. Many there be today who speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ as though they were politicians in Congress debating a bill which they feel must be passed. Their defense of it is so callous and disdainfully prideful that one would almost believe, almost believe that they themselves have never truly known or been acquainted with the gospel of Jesus Christ themselves. What's the first thought that comes to your mind when you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ in regards to yourself? That will tell us what we believe the gospel to be and how much the gospel is part of us. What do you believe the gospel to be? For how could such a glorious and divine subject ever be debated or even defended without a great sense of humility, deep gratitude, and unending praise. The gospel itself of Jesus Christ, if we really understand it and are personally acquainted with it ourselves, the gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us not only of God's infinite mercy, unmerited mercy, grace, love, and favor, but our great unworthiness. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God and the salvation. Romans chapter 1. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God and the salvation. Therefore, God would never relinquish its success or its keeping to the hands of man. It is not up to us to keep Or it's not unto us for the success of the gospel, but unto God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Why would God relinquish the success or keeping of such a message into the hands of frail, sinful, weak man? It is the Father that giveth to the Son, is it not? And it is the Son that will not lose one. And the Spirit of God who seals His elect into the day of redemption. John six seventeen and Ephesians 4. It's the power of God unto salvation. In this glorious and divine working of grace, man has no part. Not in its success, nor in its keeping. We are commanded only to proclaim it. The success and keeping of it is God's. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that any sort of gospel work. I'm talking to those who I hope and believe and understand that there's only one gospel, and that's the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not... I'm not accepting or believing any kind of gospel. There is another gospel, Paul says, if they do. I'm not talking. I'm talking about those who understand and truly understand and truly know who and what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. We are commanded to proclaim it. Its success and its perseverance and its preservation is God's. And even then... Though over the many years, countless men have distorted and corrupted its proclamation, God still has not relinquished its success in keeping in demand. He hasn't. But he himself has preserved and kept it. Think about it. Most of us have read enough church history to realize that throughout the ages, man has sought to distort it, corrupt it. Satan has sought to distort it and corrupt it. And yet it's still here. God preserves it. God keeps it, not man. Why would God ever relinquish such a message, such a success into the hands of men? Preach the gospel, yes, but it's God who keeps it. Its success is unto God. But the word of the Lord, 1 Peter one twenty five. but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Yes, men seek to distort it. Yes, men seek to corrupt it. Yes, I understand that. We must defend it. Yes, I understand that. But God keeps it. The success of it is in God's hands. People boast about the sovereignty of God and claim the sovereignty of God and man's salvation, and yet they talk as though man could possibly hinder God from doing his work. Oh, man is so warped and unbalanced in his thinking, even in his theology. It is the power of God unto salvation. Men might corrupt, seek to corrupt it and distort it, but God will always raise up men who will preach it, proclaim it. He always has in every generation. As a matter of fact, today is the anniversary of John Knox going back to Scotland to begin the Reformation. Preaching against all obstacles. Was it 400, 500 years ago? 600 years ago? Somewhere around there? Long time ago. You look back over the years, if you know anything of church history, and you see how God has kept it and preserved it successfully throughout every generation. Let us then, beloved, give as much, if not more, energy and effort in proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ instead of defending and debating it as though its success and preservation lies in our hands. For it is in our preaching it. Listen to me. It is in our preaching it. It is in our proclaiming the gospel that we find its greatest defense. You want to defend the gospel? Preach it. Do you follow me? If you, want to, if you want to defend the gospel, preach it. And it is in our text this morning that we see this glorious truth revealed for neither storm, nor devils, nor men could keep Christ from seeking his own sheep. One man. If you notice the text, if you've read it all, 
this one man, this possessed man, one man. Christ comes all this way for one man. Goes through a great storm for one man. Stands up against a city who rejects him and asks him to leave. Just a little note there, they were raising pigs. Why were they raising pigs? You know, pigs is an unclean animal. They're supposed to be in Jewish land. Why were they raising pigs? Don't feel sorry for the swine. One man. Christ came all this way for one man. Oh, I pray this morning as we preach through this wonderful text that we would relate to what Christ did in this man, to what Christ did in us. One man. One man. I want you to notice, first of all, the sovereign power of God's irresistible grace. Listen to me. In drawing the greatest sinners unto Christ. This man is possessed by a legion of devils. This was the greatest possession Christ ever faced as he walked amongst men. He He's delivered others who were possessed, but this is the great legion. Hundreds, if not thousands, of devils in one man. This was the greatest. What a display of God's sovereign grace and power. He comes to the greatest, most defiled, possessed man on earth. <laughs> it's amazing. The grace of God. The display He puts before the whole world in this passage of Scripture of His power and His sovereign grace to draw the greatest of sinners to Himself. What an amazing passage of Scripture. For no sooner does Christ arrive on the shores, but this demon-possessed man meets him out of the tomb. Look at verses 1 and 2. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him. Out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. There met him immediately. In other words, this man is possessed of a legion of devils. When he sees Christ, and we'll see that in a few minutes, afar off, he immediately comes to meet Christ. He's immediately drawn to Christ. Don't take these small, seemingly insignificant words for granted. He immediately meets Christ. He met him out of the tomb. He comes out of the tomb to meet Christ. No man can come to me, Christ said. Listen to me. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me over the seas. Listen to this. Draw him. Immediately he comes out of the tomb to meet Christ. That is the very beginning of every man, woman, and child's true salvation. God draws them out of the tombs, out of the darkness, unto Christ. I might be preaching to the choir on this text this morning, but I hope and pray I'm not, because the more we hear the gospel, the more we should fall in love with it, the more we should remind it of how God sovereignly saved us. He immediately meets Christ. God draws him immediately out of the tomb and brings him to Christ. And all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Stick with our strict scripture. He met him out of the tombs. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise, in no way or manner, regardless of his sinful condition, I will in no wise cast out. I will no wise cast out. This is the best example and display of these verses in John chapter 6. 
I will in no wise cast out. Why? Because the Father's drawn me, drawn him to me. I will in no wise. In other words, it doesn't matter how sinful he is. It doesn't matter how corrupt and wicked he is. Even a man possessed of legion of devils, I will in no wise cast anyone out whom the Father draws to me. Why? Because they're mine from eternity. They're mine. The Father has given them to me. And so the Father draws him out of the tombs and he meets Christ. That's how salvation begins. It has nothing to do with man. No decision man makes. No faith man may think he possesses. It's when God the Father draws them out of the tombs of darkness of sin and brings them to Christ. Christ in no eyes casts them out. Father draws him. The man who could not be tamed. That's what it says in verse 4. said, neither could any man tame him. You know what tame means? Tame means to subdue or conquer. No man could tame him. Not even the man himself. He would cut himself and cry. He couldn't tame himself. Sinful man cannot tame or conquer himself. He's a slave to sin. He's a slave to darkness and torment and pain and agony because of sin. He's enslaved because he has that enmity with God. He's like a devil. The man who could not be tamed, conquered or subdued by any man, nor by fetters or chains, immediately meets Christ out of the tombs. What an amazing picture of salvation. The beginning of it. An amazing picture of God's sovereign grace, the Father drawing men unto Christ. Amazing part of this, you know, verses 3, 4, and 5 are like in parentheses. So let's read verse 2 and skip all the way down to 6. 3, 4, and 5 describe what he was going through, but let's read 2 and 6 together. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, comma, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now the sovereign, irresistible grace of God in calling sinners unto Christ. Here is a man full of legions of devils. If anyone, if anyone, if anyone could resist, and I say that sarcastically, if anyone could resist, certainly a legion of devils, but not the irresistible sovereign grace of God. That man can reject such a calling as foolishness it's irresistible even a legion of devils could not keep this man from calling from coming or meeting Christ it's not in sinful man who is lost blind and depraved and desperately wicked to come of himself this man would have never come had not the Father drew him to Christ. This man would have stayed in the tombs. He would have resided in his darkness. For a sinful man has no desire for God, not the slightest inclination. There is a false gospel amongst many that says it's in man to choose Christ. Man could never choose Christ. Sinful man could never choose Christ. Because he loves darkness. And the display of God's sovereign power in drawing men is so wonderfully revealed here by, by declaring this is not merely a man possessed of one, but of countless devils. 
If anyone, if anyone, and no one could, but if anyone could resist, certainly it would have been this man here. But he's forced to meet Christ, and when he sees him, he falls at his feet and worships him. What a display of sovereign power. Sinful man's hatred and animosity against God is so great that he would never seek God on his own, ever. Ever. Who had his dwellings among the tombs. Sinful man loves darkness, rather. His dwelling was in the tombs amongst the dead. Sinful man, wonderful illustration here. Sinful man loves darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, John 3, 19 says. He dwelt in the tombs. He dwelt there. That was an abode, an abiding. He dwelt in the tombs. Matthew chapter 4 declares sinful man sits in darkness and in the region and shadow of death. He sits in darkness. He sits in darkness and, in the, and sits in the region and shadow of death. Why is the word of God declared to be sitting? Sitting is somebody that's comfortable and content there. He sits in it. He dwells there. He dwelt in the tombs. Sinful man sits in darkness and in the region and shadow of death because they have become satisfied and content to remain there. They love darkness rather than light. No man could have called this man out. Nothing could have called this man out short of the sovereign grace of God. And beloved, we go out and preach. We pass out tracts. Nothing short of the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ could ever, ever draw a sinful man out of himself unto Christ. Nothing except the sovereign grace of God. I just get so disheartened and sad and angry at the same time when I hear people display the gospel other than what the scripture describes it to be. The gospel calls them out because it's the power of God and the salvation. I'm getting ahead of myself. But how shall they hear the gospel unless men are sent? And that here preachers have the audacity to say, oh, I do not call sinners under repentance. Then how do you preach the gospel? I'll show you that verse in a minute in Acts where Paul says, where uh, he, he calls them out of darkness through the preaching of the gospel. If Christ would have never shown up on the shores of the Gadarenes, this man would have never known Christ. Unless someone told him. I'm getting ahead of myself as well, but later on, even when he's been delivered, he desires to go with Christ. Christ says, no, go back to your own people and your own family. Those that rejected me, told me to leave. Go back to them. Tell them how great things God has done unto you. And even then, it wasn't that big of a difference. You know why? Because it said all men did marvel, verse 20. They marveled, but they didn't believe in Christ. They marveled at what had happened to him, but they didn't believe. Marveling is not believing. They just simply marveled. Many marvel at the works of God. Many marvel at the wonders of God. This darkness of the soul is like the darkness of the grave. Listen to me. Job declared it best. A land of darkness as darkness itself. 
and of the shadow of death without any order. This man didn't have any order. And where the light is as the darkness, that's what sin is like. It's like the darkness of the grave. That's why he's in the tombs amongst the dead. A sinner is a walking corpse in relation to God. He's dead. He's in darkness. He's in utter darkness. There's no order to his life. And where the light is, where little light is, if there's any light, Job says, it is his darkness. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. No order. Man had forsaken him. He had no help in himself. He dwelt amongst the tombs. He dwelt amongst the dead. That's every sinner without Christ. You're a walking corpse. And you have no order. You're dead to everything around you. You're dead to everyone around you. And one day without Christ, you'll drop drop into an abyss of darkness that you've never believed possible. Unless the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shines upon your heart, you'll see no light. Christ came all this way, lands on the seashore. When he And when he steps foot on the shores, this man sees him afar off and immediately meets him, falls down and worships him. Falls down and worships him. Matthew chapter 4 said, The people that sat in darkness in the tombs, the people that sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light has sprung up. Wondered what this, and again, don't misunderstand me. I know a lot has to do with, and I'll show you that in a minute, how demons will also bow down to Christ, but don't, don't forget the man who's possessed. He's still in there. He's still there. What part of that man when they, when he seen Christ, what part of that man that was possessed of the devil realized that this was his only hope? God drawing him to Christ. Light had sprung up out of darkness, the first time he'd seen light. Why does it say he immediately met Christ? I'm sure when other men came around, he fled. They tried to put him in chains and fetters. I'm sure he'd flee back into the tombs and hide away from man. But when Christ shows up and he sees him afar off, afar off, not even close. What? What? What possessed, what moved that man to go meet Christ? Except the irresistible, sovereign grace of God. And immediately there met him out of the tombs. Christ didn't meet him in the tombs. He didn't go to him in the tombs, but the Bible says he drew him out of them. He drew him out of the tombs. God, Christ didn't go into the tombs. The Father drew him out of the tombs. Remember the emphasis, and all the Father gave me shall come unto me, and him that come unto me. Come unto me. That's what the drawing is. Christ didn't go in the tombs to meet him. Christ drew him out of the tombs. Christ didn't go in to meet us. Christ drew us out of ourselves. 
He drew us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see now the salvation. You see now the irresistible grace of God, the sovereign grace of God, drawing men unto Christ. Herein is the sovereign grace of God who draws men out of darkness unto Christ. And him that cometh to Christ, he will in no wise cast out. Beloved, it's not in sinful man to save himself. We all understand that. I believe we all comprehend that. But let us never forget that when we're preaching the gospel, when we're out evangelizing. It's not in sinful man to save himself. That's an assurity and a confidence that we have to preach the gospel in. For sinful man dwells in a darkness as darkness itself, Job said. A darkness which can only be pierced by the sovereign grace of God in Christ, who is the light. And it's with that confidence and surety that we've got to preach the gospel, knowing that it is the power of God unto salvation. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Now, I could go into depth in these verses, but just listen to what it says here. Listen closely. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. They're lost. It's hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Notice he blinds the mind. Which tells me the mind has something to do with God drawing a sinner unto himself. He's not drawing him in ignorance. That's it. Another whole message of itself, but I want you to understand that. Blind the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Shine unto where? Into their minds. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, watch this, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And he came out and immediately met Christ and fell down and worshipped. He commanded light to shine in the darkness. He called him out. Do you, do you remember, do you recall any relation to that light when God called you and I out of sin? Do you recall it? Do you recall the first moments when God began to deal with your heart and your mind about your sinfulness and your unworthiness and your need of Christ? When the light of the gospel began to flood your heart and your soul, and suddenly you begin to desire the things of God and Christ. You begin to desire the Word of God. You wanted to pray. You wanted to go to church. Light had begun shining upon your darkened soul. That's what happened to this man here. He immediately met Christ, fell down, and worshipped Him. Because God had commanded light to shine in darkness, or out of darkness, into our hearts. We were in First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Again, Paul, Peter uses the same expressions, First Peter chapter 2. 
Verse 9, watch this. He says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people. These should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness, out of the tombs, into his marvelous light, into his marvelous light, into his marvelous light. <laughs> oh, read Hebrews chapter 1. I preached on that years ago in Germany about Christ being the express image of God. Thomas says, Christ, show us the Father, and it suffices us. And Christ looks at him in the face and says, Have I been so long with you that you have <laughs> If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the light, the light of his glorious face. Do you recall? Do you remember? Christ didn't meet him, but Christ called him out of the tombs. He'd have never come of his own. He'd have never come of his own. A sinner will never come of his own to Christ. There must be a sovereign work of grace from the Father drawing men unto Christ. And when we stand there and preach the gospel, that's got to be the forefront of our mind that God, He alone is the power of this salvation. Confidence. How do you think men such as John Knox and George Whitfield and Hal Harris and others, Henry Martin, who went to different parts of the country and the world to preach the gospel, how else do you, you think they preached it with such assurance and confidence and boldness? Because they knew the gospel was the power of God unto salvation, and it is God who calls them out. And people today who say, you need, we don't preach the gospel in a way of uh, uh, inviting sinners to come to Christ, encourage them, like the brother said, to repentance and faith in Christ, knows not the entirety of the gospel. Yes, it must be God who calls them out, but it must be through the preaching of the gospel. That's how God has ordained it to be. But I want you to know something else about our text in Mark chapter 5. I want you to know something else about our text. This is, I believe a lot of people have ignored or overlooked, or maybe even haven't even noticed. I want you to see the effects. Listen to me closely on this, because I believe this is vitally important, more than what some people would think. I want you to see the effects, the first effects of the Father drawing this possessed man to Christ. It's important. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. I believe a lot of people overlook this. But we mustn't. Believe we, we mustn't. Because I believe this is a vital fruit of the effectual calling. Worship. Whether this refers to the legion of devils or the man who is possessed by them, it makes no difference. Some will say, oh, well, that's just the devil showing God has superiority and power and sovereign over the devil. No, the man is still in the devil. The man is still there. Whether it's referring to the legion of devils or the man, it makes no difference. For here we see the deity and sovereignty of Christ at work. 
in both man and demons, for all must and will certainly submit and bow to the Lordship of Christ. Philippians chapter 2. Devils and men will bow and worship Christ and confess that He is Lord. So it makes no difference. But I believe there's more to this than merely Christ being sovereign over demons. Listen to me. Because I believe this is where a lot of false conversions can be evidenced and seen. The first evidence of God calling this possessed man to Christ and he seeing Christ is worship. What is the first thing that we do? Think back. What is the first thing we desired and longed to do when we seen the light that God revealed unto us? We wanted to worship God. Is that not what the greatest thing is? for a Christian to do is worship God. We worship God. This divine work of grace is something many have simply ignored when it comes to the evidence of true conversion. For most speak of being forgiven, reconciled to God, repentance, and those are all good. I'm now going to heaven. I've been saved from my sins. That's wonderful. That's glorious things. Don't misunderstand me. It's wonderful to know I've been forgiven. It's wonderful to know I've been reconciled to God. It's wonderful to know these things. But true worship is one, if not the most essential fruits of our being effectually called. God gives us a desire to worship Him. When the Lord, with the ten leopards cleansed him, and only one turned around and came back and fell down. What did he do? He worshipped the Lord. When people were calling out for mercy and grace, they worshipped him. David, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Paul, when God told them to go find Paul, he said, you'll find him praying. He was worshipping Something is really, truly wrong if someone professes conversion has no desire to worship God. That, I believe, is one of the first, if not the most important, significant fruit of effectual calling is when God places in our heart a desire to worship Him. So whether it's the demons they're talking about or the possessed man, it makes no difference. All will bow down before Christ. But I believe this is one of the greatest evidences of an effectual call is we desire to worship God. What do we want more than anything as Christians? But to worship God. It is the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, that alone can shine light into the darkness of sinful man. I hope and pray that we all believe that. But look at Romans chapter 10 as I draw this to a close. I want you to see this because there's so much in this passage of Scripture we have yet to, to look at. Listen to me. Paul said, It is the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, that alone can shine light into the darkness of sinful man. Now look at this. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. I'm not going to read the whole thing. be good if you did. But look in verse 13 of Romans chapter 10. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? See there? The proclamation. How are they going to hear? How are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to hear a preacher unless he's sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. Proclaim it. And in proclaiming that, God will call out his own unto himself. Its success and its keeping is not in our hands. It is our duty and commandment to proclaim it. So God give us grace to defend it when need be. But I pray men would spend more time and effort in proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ than defending it. For like I said, I believe that it is in preaching the gospel that we defend it the most. It's almost like Spurgeon said about the Word of God. He said, defend the Word of God is like defending a lion. The Word of God can defend itself. You want to defend the gospel? God can preach it. I wonder how many who are so argumentative and defensive about defending the gospel or contending to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ pure and under God. I wonder how many of them can preach it. If you can't preach it, you certainly can't defend it. Preach it. May God give us grace to take a look at this Mark chapter 5, this example of this man possessed of a legion of devils and trust that when we go out to preach the gospel, we're not putting hope and trust in man that cannot do anything of his own. Our hope and trust is in the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ that he can draw all men unto himself. Let us just simply proclaim it. Preach it to every creature. And let God bring it success, if only he can. Amen. Praise God for the man possessed of the legion of devils. What an example we have of God calling sinners unto Christ, and of Christ in no wise casting them out. The only thing he cast out here was the legion of devils. Later on, next time we'll be looking at the results of that, of the man sat clothed and in his right mind. That's what salvation does. It clothes us in the righteousness of Christ and gives us the mind of Christ and where we find ourselves sitting at the feet of Jesus. Oh, what an amazing, what an amazing, what an amazing chapter. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we, as thy children, I pray and hope will never forget, but always contemplate and meditate upon the time when you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Oh, Lord God, keep me near the cross. Let me walk in its shadow forever. Let me always be reminded of what Christ sacrificed to save my soul, and may I ever fall down in humble adoration and praise at such a glorious Savior as Jesus Christ. God, keep us from our own sinful pride and arrogance, Father. I pray that, Lord, you'd help us, Lord God, by your grace, to go out into this community and preach the gospel to every creature, exhorting men everywhere to repent and have faith in Christ, believing in the power of a sovereign God who will draw his own unto Christ. And when they do, Christ will in no wise cast them out. Father, thank you so much. 
for such a glorious salvation. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for procuring it. And thank you, Holy Spirit of God, for sealing it in our souls until the day of redemption. What a glorious Savior we have. We love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.